you know, I, I, my prayer is, is that we don't gather here just for ourselves. Yes, we gather here to come together, to see each other, to be community, to thrive together. But we come here to be equipped and activated to go out there and be the church on Monday through Saturday. And we come back in here and we rally together and we worship and we get equipped and we get activated. We go back out there and we bring people to Jesus. We reconcile hearts and we are reconciled to others. Is that not true? And so I am really praying that tonight this word will put a fire in your bones that you will not contain to yourself, but you will give it away to everybody else. How does that sound? All right. Well, I'm gonna pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we don't just read it, it reads us. And that's my prayer tonight, that the word would read us, that as we read your word, as we break it down, as we study it, as it goes in deep, God, that it would read our hearts and it would transform us and we would take it with us and do something with it. God, transform us tonight. We are so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus, that we are celebrating Advent, the season of waiting And we are so grateful that you sent your son so that we could be saved and set free and reconciled to you, Father. And so that is good news. And we want to bring that good news wherever we go. So equip us, activate us to move and to bring the gospel wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So my, I got four beautiful kids, and I know you know that. They are awesome, and if you don't know that, I have four beautiful kids. And they're a lot of fun. My youngest, Sam, from the moment he had words, whenever it was Christmas time, when the tree would go up and the lights would go on, and all he could say is, wow. Wow. I think I have videos every year of him standing in front of the tree. Wow. And when he, he would touch it, wow. Like it just, uh, how good are kids and how are we, we are supposed to be childlike. Like I've got a picture of him. I believe that they're going to put up even this year. He was, he was coming back, back from school and I had, um, I had set up the tree so that they could decorate it when, when they got home and I could hear him outside when he arrived. He was yelling, like, I was like, well, Sam's back. He's ready to decorate the tree and you can see where he's standing. He decorated the tree just in that place for us with like a million ornaments. He found the Santa hat and he put it on and he was so excited, full of expectation, full of excitement, full of joy. And, and I, I put a couple of presents underneath the tree uh, for, for Christmas day, obviously. But when he saw him, he, he got home from school again. He's like, are these to open today? I'm like, no, that's not how it works. And then I said, do you remember what Chris, because he just like lost it crying, but why? I don't understand why we can't open the presents now. And I'm like, well, do you remember what Christmas is about? He goes, no. And I'm like, that's honest. I appreciate that. Because he really did think about it was opening presents, obviously, right then and there. So I sat him down on my lap and I looked him in his blue eyes and I, I actually began to explain Advent once again, the waiting. We're in the season of Advent. It's the third Sunday of Advent. And I love what this word means. It, it, the Latin word is advenir, which means coming or arriving. And it refers to the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day. So I was trying to explain to him, you know what? People were waiting for Jesus to come and we get so excited because it's Jesus' birthday on Christmas Day and we get to open presents and celebrate Jesus' birthday with him. He's like, we have to wait? I'm like, yes. <laughs> but I was explaining the waiting to him and the joy and the waiting. And, and, and you know, 
What I love about Advent, too, is that as Christians, we believe in three different comings of Christ. The coming of Christ at Bethlehem when he came, the coming of Christ in our hearts every day, and the coming that is yet to come. See, we are still waiting for Christ to return for his bride, and we are his bride. But what we get to celebrate is that Jesus, our great reconciler, he came to Bethlehem. He came to reconcile us to our Father in heaven, the one who created us. And when he came, we didn't understand fully how great this good news was, that he would redeem and restore literally everything for us so that we could be reconciled to God. But it doesn't stop there. It is also so that we can be reconciled to each other. You know, the word reconciliation means to change, to exchange, to reestablish, restore relationships, to make things right, to remove enmity or hostility. When you think about that, think about what Jesus did for us. He exchanged his life for ours. He reestablished our relationship with our Father in heaven. We were meant to walk through the garden with him at all times, but that changed when we turned our backs, and he reestablished that. He restored relationship. He made things right. He removed enmity for us, and it's amazing what reconciliation does. The original Greek is katalasso, which means we got to take this personally, because guess what it says here? I reconcile. I change. I exchange. Isn't that amazing? So, see, Jesus did that for us, but then when we become ambassadors for reconciliation, we get to do this too. You know, when we, who loves reconciling their bank statements? Anyone? Is that your favorite? I'm pumped up. I'm going to go do that when I get home. That's what I've been dreaming about. No, that's not true. But when we are reconciling our bank statements, we are figuring out what we owe to the bank, are we not? We're figuring out what we owe to the bank. When you think about relationships, When we're reconciling relationships, when that's a friendship or maybe a family relationship or a marriage relationship or a work relationship, you're thinking, I owe them an apology. I don't want to give them that apology, but I owe it to them. (laughs) We got to reconcile that. We have to work that out. Well, think about it with God. We owed God a big apology. We turned our back on him. We owed him an apology. But who paid the debt? Was it us? No. He reconciled everything when we owed the debt. And that is mind-blowing. That is the good news. And to this day, see, I wake up in the morning. I would love to say I wake up in the morning, the birds are singing, Jesus is sitting at the foot of my bed. Well, he is there. I just don't always say, hi, Jesus. But you know what? I would love to say that it's all perfect. But, you know, every day I am recognizing, hey, That needs to be reconciled. Jesus, you died to reconcile that in my life, whether that is a piece of my identity or my way of thinking or whatever that could be. He came to reconcile all things, restore all things, bring all men back to himself. And isn't it good that he didn't wait until we had it all together to do this for us? I love what it says in Romans 5, 6 through 8 in the message. Christ arrives right on time. Thank you, Christmas. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. I mean, what would we do to get ready for Christ to reconcile us to him? I mean, we wouldn't have a clue how to get ready. But a lot of times that's why our friends and people in our world will not come to Jesus because they think I've got to be a little bit better before I can come to him. We're like, no, I'm a hot mess still. And he loves me and takes me as I am. He doesn't wait for me. See, we have friends that say, you know, I can't come to church because the roof might fall in. I'm like, well, it might fall in on me too. So let's go together. 
because he doesn't wait for us to put ourselves together, to get it together, to die for us. It says we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. We are reconciled. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for sending your son. The word made flesh. God put skin on and walked a mile in our shoes and then died in our place. We are reconciled to God, but it doesn't stop there. Then we are to reconcile with one another. How many of you know that when you see reconciliation on earth, it is unto the glory of God? Think about a broken relationship that you have had that was reconciled and restored. You could feel the presence of God. He was glorified in that relationship. Like I said, we were just sitting at a deathbed, and to watch reconciliation take place at that deathbed brought tears to my eyes and the presence of God. Heaven was in that place. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven when we reconcile with one another. It's what he came for. How many of you know, though, Think about when you were younger, not today, when you were younger and when you would like, you know, punch your brother or your sister or kick him in the shins when your mom turned around and then you're, they'd be crying and your mom's like, you need to say sorry. You'd be like, sorry. <laughs> Remember that? Say it like you mean it. Your mom was, sorry. Oh, no, really say it like you mean it. Well, I'm not sorry and I don't mean it, right? Okay. So with reconciliation between one another, we can feel the difference. You know when you sit down with someone, you're like, well, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You're like, you didn't mean that. Bye. You know? And this is why reconciliation with God is where it begins because our hearts are tender in his presence. So then we can reconcile with one another and actually mean it. I love this quote, and I've used it before out of gospel-centered community. It says, the agent of sanctification is the Holy Spirit. So sanctification is becoming more holy or becoming more like Christ. The agent of that is the Holy Spirit. Who is grateful for the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, to remind us of all truth, what we've read at the right time, bringing us where we need to be led? And the tool of sanctification is the truth of the gospel, the good news that all things have been reconciled and restored. That is good news. We come back to the gospel to be sanctified. And the context of sanctification is in community. Why is it in community? Because we drive each other bananas. We offend each other. We hurt each other. We need to say sorry to each other. I know, I don't know about you. Have you heard the scripture? The scripture? It is not a scripture. It is a saying. So just let's get that clear. Have you ever heard the saying, and I, I've said this before, that um, when you get married, you realize how selfish you are? And then when you have children, you realize how angry you are? Just letting you guys know. So, um, <laughs> but I think about that. I think about our context because we're rubbing shoulders with each other. We frustrate each other, and we need to reconcile with each other on a regular basis. You know, the key text that we're going to go through today is 2 Corinthians 5. And I love this passage of scripture. It is one of my favorites. And we're going to break this down, but then I'm also going to give you guys some very practical keys on how to reconcile with each other. So we're going to break down the scripture of why we should reconcile, the heart of reconciliation, and then we're going to practically look at how to reconcile. How does that sound? It sounds messy, doesn't it? Great. Okay. I love how the Apostle Paul starts this, though, in 2 Corinthians 5.11. We're going to start there. 
says, since we are those who stand in holy awe of the Lord, we make it our passion to persuade others to turn to him. Since we stand in holy awe of the Lord, we make it our passion to persuade others to turn to him. Now leave that up there and think about that for a moment. Now, oh my gosh, tonight, what were they? Hallelujah. I was like, wow. Anybody else standing in holy awe of the Lord in that moment? I was like, God, you're so amazing. And even in, in, in um, I love Christmas songs where we're singing and all the angels sing. Like, do you get that mental picture? All the angels are singing. What holy awe we can stand in of our God. And as we stand in holy awe, I mean, that causes us to go, I don't want to live my life the way I'm living it anymore. I've got to turn from my ways and follow him, right? Right? And if it's not, when's the last time you were in holy awe of the Lord? If you're enjoying your own ways a little too much, get on your knees a little bit more, people. Because this is what causes us to have a passion to turn others to him. Because we're not just reconciled to him. We are called to reconcile others to him. Your na- oh, man, I love my neighbor. She, I love her so much. But I'm thinking about, I am just so desperate to see my neighbor turn to Jesus. Because, oh, if she only knew how amazing he was. But see, what we do in our generation is that we don't stand in holy awe. We plead grace and we prostitute grace to do whatever we want instead of letting grace cause us to stand in holy awe and turn from our ways. Ah! Okay, do you still love me? Are you glad I'm back? Okay. Because reconciliation starts with repentance. Because we have to repent first before we're even able to... See, if I'm angry at my husband for five days, good luck on reconciling. It will be a, I'm sorry. It'll be like, okay, liar. I have to repent in my heart, stand in holy awe of God, that he has reconciled me to himself. Repent of my ways and reconcile with one another. But reconciliation starts with repentance. So let's go to the rest of this text. I love it so much. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. And like I said, when we read this, I I would say write this down. If you're taking notes, write it down and read this again this week. Take some time. Chew on this. Go over it. Ask your heart some questions as you read this. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 20. And then we're going to break it down after I read it. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are are absolutely convinced that he gave his life for all of us. This means that all died with him. Wait, time out. I would like him to give his life for me. I have to die with him. I'm not so sure about this part. Let's stop reading the scripture and only quote the top. Oh, wait, no, we died too. So that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him. The one who died for us and now lives again. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people, (laughs) their people, people merely by their outward appearances. For that's what we once viewed, how we once viewed the anointed one, but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. See, they used to see him as just a good man or a prophet, but then he died and rose again, so then he was the savior of the world. We don't see him as a good man anymore. We see Christ for who he is. Now, if anyone is enfolded, listen to that language. See that language as you read it. If anyone is enfolded in Christ, he has become an entirely new creation, not a partial 
new creation, an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new, and God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself. Oh, let's stop there. No, we have to keep reading and then give it us. <laughs> the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted us. Okay, that word entrusted. See, I entrust my children right now to my mother. My mom is at home with my children. I am entrusting with her the lives of the people that mean the most to me. And that means everything to me. See, the way God sees reconciliation is he sees it. It's so valuable. He's like, I'm entrusting you. I am entrusting you to do something with what I'm giving you. I am entrusting. He entrusts us. Listen to the beautiful language in this. To the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. You guys, we go like this and show people, come this way, this way, to God. We open that door. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to him. Oh, don't you just love the word of God? Don't you? And if you don't, I'm going to buy you all this Bible because it's just so good. Okay. So let's break this down and ask our heart some questions. We're going to start with the head and then we're going to get some, or the heart, and then we're going to go just through some practical steps. So ask yourself this, what's my prominent motivation in life, my needs or Christ? What's my prominent motivation in life, my needs or Christ? Man, ask yourself that question every single day. That'll change your life. Okay, good morning. Here's my checklist of all the things I need for myself. Oh, Lord, what do you want? I've been watching some BBC a little too much. Okay. Um, my needs are Christ. we got to ask ourselves that question. In the beginning of the year, we do 21 days of fasting and prayer. How many of you know, first day in, you're figuring out how to break this fast? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure the Lord called me to the 21 days with the church. Maybe it's not a food fast. Maybe it's just like a television fast. Netflix fast. I can still watch Hulu. You know, what? so, Right? So we're trying to figure it out because if you really think about it, this is why a fast is so beautiful because you see how much life is all about you, right? And when you lay all of that down and you get on your knees and you connect with God and you see him move in ways he has never moved before, you will want to fast more often and deny yourself. But we got to ask ourselves those questions. The legacy offering. I love the legacy offering. Why? Do you know the legacy offering is actually about reconciliation? When you hear the heart of my husband, who is the most beautiful, amazing man, who just wants to build lifeboats all across the world so that people can be reconciled to God, you will realize that our finance, when we sow it into this legacy offering, is like little soldiers that goes out and does the will of God in places we could never go, does things we could never do, and it's about reconciling hearts to Jesus Christ. We wouldn't like be holding on to our money. We'd be going, give it away. Give it away, give it away. Oh, man, it's such a good song, right? It's really not a good song, actually. But um, <laughs> seek first, the just had to clarify. Seek first the kingdom of God. 
Seek first the kingdom of God. Because we died with Jesus. You guys, it didn't stop with just him dying for us. That would be wonderful. But then we die with him. So that we will no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives poured out for him. So we've got to ask ourselves this question often. Once a week even would be great. Out of verse 15, what am I pouring my life out for? What am I pouring my life out for? See, we are all called to different spheres of influence. You are all placed in your neighborhood, next to your neighbors, in your workplace, in that cubicle, whatever it is, Jamie doing makeup, whatever it looks like. I look at all of you and think of how amazing every single one of you are and where God has placed you. And you just have to ask yourself as you go to work, what am I pouring my life out for? What Christ will people see today in me? Where will I open a door to reconcile others to God? Because what am I pouring my life out for? Often we're pouring it out to once again hit all of our goals for ourselves. But we've got to ask God, what are your goals? And may I align with those, please. What are you pouring your life out? What am I pouring my life out for? I love David when he was to build the temple and buy the land for his son, actually, to build the temple, and someone was willing to give it to him, he was like, no, no, I'm not going to give that which costs me nothing. But oftentimes in our lives, we are looking for the cheapest way out. But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, pour it out daily, and we, it, it will cost us something. See, it'll cost you everything. It'll cost you turning from your ways and turning to his ways. But it is so worth it. It is so worth it. So the next question, we're going to sit on this one out of verse 16. We need to ask ourselves this question. How do I view humanity? How do I view humanity? Because think about this. When we begin to pour our lives out, when he becomes our motivation, we begin to see humanity differently. But we've got to ask ourselves, am I looking through a lens of limited human insight or through God's eyes? When I view people in here And outside of these doors, am I looking through limited human insight or am I looking through God's eyes? You guys, this is hard. This is very hard. But this is also what prophecy is. Do you know what prophecy is? It is calling out the gold in someone. Maybe they are not living that life yet. But you go, you know what? I see you because I am seeing you how God sees you. And let me pull that out of you. And I'm not just going to pull it out of you and let it be there. You know what community does? We walk it out together until you become that person. But that is what we do. We call that out of each other, but it is not easy. You can prophesy in your workplace all the time. Just start seeing people how God sees them and speak to it. They'll be like, why are you so nice? You're like, because I'm speaking about Jesus in you. You just don't know it yet. You got to turn to him. Okay. But we got to ask ourselves, do we, see, this is not consciously most of the time. It's unconsciously. Do we view people by their sins? What they've done, who they used to be? Their class, their job, earthly beauty standards, that's a hard one. Their weight, their nationality, their race, the biases that we grew up with that maybe we're unaware of because we haven't got revelation on that. Maybe through our own personal values or standards. Anyone ever do that? Well, these are my values. Why are they not your values? I'm judging you. Anyone? No? Just okay. I might be the only imperfect one in the room today. But um, if you look at this, We've got to get good at viewing people as a human being with value beyond measure because they actually have the imprint of God on them. We are created in the image of God, which means we each carry the imprint of God. And once again, how do we get people to turn to God? 
We show them who they are. You are, you can speak to people and open a door to show them their true identity and that it is found in Christ, enfolded in Christ. Oh, it's amazing. But a lot of time, we're churches that are a whole bunch of pillars of salt. Looking back on somebody's past or who they used to be, maybe even on our own lives, when God is going, turn from your ways and turn to me, but we're stuck here, and God doesn't want us stuck. Isn't it interesting that we all want people to move past our past in how they view us, but we don't often do that for other people? Okay. Once again, could be just me. Another thing we have to work on, and it will help us so that we can see people the way God sees them, is not view people based on assumption. Not view people based on assumption. See, when we start coming up with assumptions about somebody else, what we do is we first assume their motives. Anyone ever done that before? I assume you posted that or did that or said that, and I know your motives. I know you, and I'm not even going to ask you. I'm not going to sit down and reconcile with you because I know. I assume your motives. And then we ponder that in our heart. And then usually we speak about it to somebody else instead of sitting with the person and going, what were your motives there? Because that really hurt me. Instead of doing that, we could sit down and have a conversation. But see, reconciliation starts with honor. It starts with honor. Repentance has to be in the mix. Honor has to be in the mix. And we've got to believe the best in one another. Isn't it interesting that most people, when we make decisions, we really think we're doing the right thing. Isn't that true? Unless it's just straight evil. But other than that, most of the time, people are making decisions or saying something because they actually believe it's true. Maybe no one's ever sat with them and had a conversation before. And maybe you could be that person to do community and life and relationship with them to go, hey, let's, let's have a conversation. What were your motives? You come across a little bit like this, but maybe that's not what you meant. Let's have a conversation. But let's not bear false witness about each other in our hearts or out of our mouths because that's what we do when we make assumptions about each other. We bear false witness about one another. Let's believe the best in one another. Out of verse 17, let's ask ourselves this question. Is everybody doing okay? Yeah. All right. Out of verse 17, let's ask this question. Do I live entangled in the old order of my life? The ways that used to be familiar to me. It's so easy to go back to familiar ways, isn't it? It just is. It's one of the, because they're familiar. <laughs> Or do I remind myself daily that I am enfolded into Christ and therefore have become an entirely new creation? See, we go back to our old ways because they're familiar, but what we have to do is go, you know what? No, today I pick up my cross and I follow you, and there are things in my life I need you to show me how and who I am as a new creation because I'm not seeing it clearly yet, God. I need you to show me who I am. And see, the thing is, is when we live according to the old ways, reconciliation is usually not even an option because we're still highly self-absorbed, aren't we? Life is really about us and us getting it right for us, but we're not thinking about reconciling with somebody else. We're waiting for the other party to say sorry first. Anyone ever done that before? I'm just going to wait because you need to be more sorry than me. But maturity causes us to see others, like see others and move beyond ourselves. When we allow Jesus to reconcile our identity in him with an understanding that he has come to reconcile all things, we begin to walk, act, and live differently from the inside out and therefore in our relationships. Life is not just about us anymore. 
And that's when we can stop going back to those old ways. So we begin to understand who we are in Christ. We begin to pour out our lives for his cause and for who he is. Our motives begin to change. We desire to reconcile others to God. We desire to reconcile with each other. But we've got to ask ourselves out of verse 18 and 19, do I desire to reconcile others to God? And do I desire reconciliation in my life where relationships are broken down? Let's start with the first part of that question. Do I desire to reconcile others to God? Okay, we actually have to genuinely ask ourselves that question. Because a lot of times I think we are content to let somebody else who is a little bit more bold or called an evangelist to go and reconcile others to God. But we are all reconcilers. We are all called to do this. Okay, let's start with this simple little thing. I don't know if they're on the seats or are we going to hand them out. Do you guys know? We're handing them out at the end. Okay, I want to show you. This is really small. This can fit in your wallet, in your bag, whatever you have. It seems super simple. It seems like, oh, the church made those again. That's great. This is an invitation to Christmas. This is an invitation to reconciliation. So we made it super easy for you. I've already asked multiple people. They're all coming because they'll come to Christmas, but then it's walking it out with them after Christmas that really, really matters because you don't just deliver a baby and leave it in the delivery room. I like my kids. I took them home with me, (laughs) right? See, this is the problem with Christianity today is we have a whole bunch of delivery room Christians and then we leave babies abandoned on the side of the road. And we wonder why our churches aren't thriving. We wonder why the lost are not being found because we are not walking it out together. And so this is just a tool for the delivery room. And then we need to be the ones that walk it out with our friends. So I want to tell you, when, don't just take one of these. Take 50 of these. Invite everybody on the subway. Here you go. Merry Christmas. We need to bring these, even if you're not going to be there. I want you to tell people, bring them along. You know what? You can just lead them to Jesus and then bring them to church as well. You could do that too. So where am I going next? Do I want to reconcile others to God? Or do I, and also the second part of that, and this is, these are heart questions, man. These are not easy. Do I desire reconciliation in my life where relationships are broken down? <laughs> yes and no. And we're going to go there. We're going to go to that next. We're ambassadors. I don't have time really to touch on that long, but the next question that I want you to ask yourself, we'll put it up there just so you guys can write it down, is do or take a picture of it, whichever you choose to do. Do I live like an ambassador for the anointed one or am I letting everyone else do that job because it's not my gifting? Kind of goes with the last one. Do you still love me? Jonathan does. He's clapping over there. (laughs) Jonathan, let's go, you guys. All right. So, but the thing is, is what we have done is we have let the evangelist play that role once again. When we both, we hold two passports. My kids are Australian and American. They hold two passports. I'm so pumped for them. They could leave me one day and live in Australia. Congratulations. But... Think about it. We hold two passports, a heavenly passport and an earthly passport, and we are ambassadors for heaven here on earth. And are we letting everybody else do that job? Or everywhere we go, are we ambassadors for Christ? Wherever we go, we just have to ask ourselves that question. So that's the heart of reconciliation, that we would be reconciled to God and to one another. But then how does that work in the mess of community and relationship and friendship? How do we do this? How do we actually reconcile? How do we walk this out? Well, here's a few practical steps to reconciliation. If you want, what you can do is get an app. It's called NHM, Nothing Hidden Ministries. Now, some of you are like, I hate that app already because nothing hidden, that sounds frightening. Well, we live our lives before God with nothing hidden, right? That's the whole goal. And in our close relationships or where we want to reconcile, it is the point. 
that we would have these beautiful friendships and relationships. This is true Christianity, guys. This is it. It's not shallow. It's deep. It's messy. We got to walk this stuff out. So I wanna, I'm going to walk you through this because this is actually on the app. So it's, there's a toolkit in the app, NHM, Nothing Hidden Ministries. Download it after you're done. There is forgiveness prayers, repentance prayers. There's salvation prayers. There's all the prayers. There is this tool in there. So what, what happens is, okay, so I have a broken down relationship with a friend, which I did recently. And, and I have written about it in my new book because she said I could. Tanya and I, good friends, some of you know her. We had brokenness in our relationship. We weren't talking to each other for a while. It was like high school all over again. It wasn't fun. I'm like, we're grown adults. What is going on here? We decided this isn't good enough. Let's reconcile. And so you know what? We're going to walk this through. There's a few things we still need to walk through. And she said I could share that with you. So isn't that? Okay, I'm hoping to not get a whole bunch of emails from you that want to reconcile with me um, later. So just forgive me in your heart. Um, Okay, moving on. We will get there. Steps to reconciliation. So what you do is you sit down with a person. So I've used this in my marriage, use it in friendship. We use it as a pastoral tool in different times when we sit down with people. If you want somebody else present, you can do that. But often you sit down and one person goes first. So I would say, here, let's just talk about one thing. This really hurt me and we need to reconcile this. Then the person who was listening goes through these steps. Number one, and they are listening. So this is what they say. This is what I did wrong and this is what I did that hurt you. So making sure that they heard what you said. The second one is this. This is the pain I believe I put you through because of what I did. Ask for feedback. Nobody wants to ask for feedback. That's not fun. But when you ask for feedback, you actually can reconcile and make sure, am I hearing you correctly? Because when you really know how you hurt somebody, it causes you to want to turn from your ways and turn to God. It truly does. The third one is this. This is how I feel about putting you through that pain. This is really fun, isn't it? Is everybody doing okay? Because when the rubber meets the road, this is reconciliation in relationships. This is how I feel about putting you through that pain. Number four is this. Express your sincere desire and intention to change their behavior and not bring this pain into the relationship in the future. How many of you know where pain has been in relationships is when someone says sorry and keeps doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again? And that's when it's hard. Number five is look at the other person and ask them, can you forgive me for this pain I have brought to you and the wrong that I have done to you? So this is how you can walk out reconciliation. Like I said, grab that tool. And if it's something you need to do, once again, it has to be two willing parties. Some of you right now in your heart are rolling your eyes. Like, please, Lord, I never want to do this. This is so uncomfortable. Please, can I sit and meet with someone that can give me another way? Look. Find your own way. I'm just trying to give you a practical tool that you can actually use to reconcile with people and just make sure it has scriptural basis in it. The truth is, though, and there's two things I want to touch on before I begin to land this plane, and I'll do it very quickly. Reconciliation is a two-way street. So some of you are reading this going, oh, well, I've been listening to this whole message. I'm just going to throw it out the window because the other person I know will not reconcile with me, right? You're sitting there thinking, and plus, maybe they go to work. They're not Christian, whatever. There's a million reasons why you're like, it's not going to happen. This is dumb. I don't like this message. And so you're thinking, why? And you know, one of the most painful things about Christianity is other people's free will, isn't it? We cannot control another party because that's not love. There is no way we cannot make that happen. We cannot control the outcomes of someone else's choices, and we cannot force someone to reconcile with us. But what we can do 
is in our own hearts, we can reconcile with God how we feel about the situation. If we are angry, if we need to turn from our ways or judgment, if we need to walk in forgiveness, we can do that. And then where does God love to land? In impossible situations. So we can pray. My family is a walking, breathing miracle. I should hate my parents, but I don't. I really, really love them because we have chosen to reconcile. And guess what? It doesn't stop there. Do you know we have to keep reconciling? That's my dad, by the way. That's why I'm pointing at this guy right here. You're just like, why is she pointing so intensely? But it's messy and it's not easy. And guess what? I preached this last week and guess what I got to do all day Monday? Reconcile, reconcile, reconcile. I'm like, oh, I have to live the message. Okay, well... It's following Jesus. Now, this is very important. What if the other party is dangerous? Right, some of you felt that. You're like, that was my other thing and I was going to walk out. So, well, if they're physically, mentally, verbally, emotionally dangerous, then reconciliation also looks different here. It's very similar in a way, in the sense that you have responsibility to deal with your own heart, right? To forgive, to reconcile with God, and then to pray for them. But for some of you, for the rest of your life, you may have to have a safe and healthy boundary in place because it is unsafe. And that is a totally different situation. So I needed to say that because some of you are like, seriously, I'm not doing it. And that's okay, because there are some people, even in my world, that I have forgiven and I love and I have reconciled things in my heart, but I will not have a relationship with them because it is not safe. Okay? Does that help? Yeah. Everybody good? good? All right, I'm going to get the team up, or whoever's coming up. It's just, do I have one person coming up? Oh, look, it's the whole team. They are so wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to bring this to a close right now, but, you know... I, uh, you walk this stuff out, right? This is, this is following Jesus. This is the day in, day out stuff. This is the mess of, and the mess and the beauty though, because once again, it's to his glory when you reconcile. I mean, there's just amazing things that take place when we reconcile with one another. And, um, I've learned, this is hard fought revelation, but I want to share it with you. And it was this, and it was in one time when I was just like, someone owed me an apology. You know when people just, they owe you, they actually owe you an apology. And you feel very entitled to that apology, and you're like, I am not budging here. I am not repenting. I am not letting go. You owe me. And I got to this place where I was standing once again in holy awe of God, standing in awe of Jesus and what he did. And I, it was like I felt this whisper inside of myself. And it wasn't God saying this to me. It was me walking this out in myself, and it was this. I wrote it down. No one owes me a thing. No one owes me a thing because Jesus has already done everything for me. That's rough and that's beautiful all at the same time because I am responsible for my heart. Nobody else is, and nobody owes me a thing. They don't, but I am responsible for my heart, and I have the power to bring reconciliation. I have the power to forgive and say, I'm sorry. You know what it says in Romans 13, eight? Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. Whoever loves has fulfilled the law. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. How? Because love laid itself down in death and died for us and paid the debt, paid the price that we owed and rose again so that we could be reconciled to God. I love 
how Jesus says, you know what? If one wanders off, will I not leave the 99 to go after the one? That's how important reconciliation is to the heart of the Father, that if one wanders off, he goes after that one. Some of us need to ask ourselves, who has wandered off in my life? Did you hear me? Who has wandered off in my life? Ask yourself that question. Who's wandered off in my life? Who am I allowing to live a life where I could be the one who opens the door to reconciliation? Who have I allowed to wander off in my life? Leave the 91, go after one. Now, I am not telling you leave community because you were like, she said leave church to go. Okay, stop it. What I am saying is go after them. If it's safe, go after them who's wandered off. But you know what? I want to pray for you. Because maybe, maybe you're that one. You're created in the image of God. He loves you. He created you for relationship with him. So much so that Jesus died to reconcile you to him. Jesus wandered off to find you when you wandered off from the fold. 